don't know if you've ever asked yourself the question when you're reading the Bible or when even you're singing some of the hymns in our hymn book. And if you've asked the question, why does God seem to talk about blood so much? Blood is a theme throughout the Bible. And strangely, in the New Testament particularly, um, the blood of Christ is spoken of in very positive ways. And yet we don't tend to associate blood with positive things, do we? Uh, The very talk of blood sacrifices can seem so primitive and foreign to our modern minds. Uh, It can be offensive to us. Many people are are offended even by the mere sight of blood. Uh, It's distasteful to us. It's, to some extent, uh, disgusting. We we don't want to think about bloody sacrifices and animals dying on altars and bowls and sprinkled blood. It's not attractive to think about. And yet God seems to talk about these things a great deal. Well, the answer, of course, is that blood is supposed to be, to some degree, distasteful. Uh, Because shed blood represents for us the reality of death possibly the most distasteful thing that we can think of. And that is the significance of shed blood throughout the Bible. It speaks to us of death. And death is the penalty for sin. Uh, There would have been no need for sacrifices, for blood sacrifices or any other sort of sacrifices if mankind had not sinned. Death would never have come into the world if we had not turned our back on God. And shed blood is a reminder to us that the wages of sin is death. Um, God is the giver of life. Uh, In him is eternal life. He never had a beginning, and he never had an end. He is an eternal fountain of life, and he gives us life as a gift uh, that we might use it to serve him and to love him and to enjoy him. But when we sin, we do the exact opposite of that. When we sin, we reject God. We treat God as someone not worthy of our service. We throw God behind our back, as we learned of King Jeroboam a few months ago. And so when we sin, we actually forfeit our right to life. Uh, If you 
dismiss the source of life, if you reject the person who is the source of all life, then the only thing you can hope for is death. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Uh, As I've said, sinning is the opposite of what we were created to do. Um, This is a silly example, but if you bought for yourself a freezer and then when you got it, you discovered that it was in fact an oven, you wouldn't simply make do, would you? You didn't want an oven, you wanted a freezer. That oven is not fit for anything but to throw away or to return it whence it came. And in a much more serious way, if we do not accomplish the purpose for which God created us for, to love and serve and enjoy him, then there is no other place for us to go than to be thrown on the rubbish heap which the Bible calls hell, the gateway to which is death. But it's actually even worse than that, um, because that oven, there's no blame attached to it. It's just an inanimate object. It's not its fault that it's not fit for the purpose you want it for. Uh, But the same can't be said of us. Uh, When we sin... When we're not fit for the purpose God created us, it's a choice that we make. And that's why God's anger at sin is so great. It's not just some innocent mistake that we make. It's a deliberate choice. And so we all face the expectation of God's judgment. I don't know if you noticed at the end of the chapter we read the very famous verse, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, It is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. And that is what we all naturally have to look forward to. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen on the news um, uh, perhaps some court case which has sort of unfolded over the previous weeks. And sometimes you see the family of someone who has perhaps been murdered or has been uh, grievously hurt in some way. And often you'll see them outside the courtroom after the sentence has been given. And um, it's not unusual to see that family talking to the cameras and despite the sentence has been given, they say it's not enough. Uh, It's not enough that this person simply spends life in prison after they have murdered their loved one. That family cries out for justice. And that's a good feeling to have. That's a righteous feeling to have. Uh, Evil needs to be punished. And that same emotion exists in the heart of God. When we reject him, God's heart cries out for justice. And that's why we must die. That's why we must face judgment. That's why verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins. A price must be paid. God cannot simply 
sweep it under the carpet. That would be like a judge looking at that family who have lost a loved one and saying, yes, it was wrong, but I'm feeling kind today. We'll just let them off. You can imagine the uproar. You can imagine the uproar, not just in the heart of that family, but in the whole of society. Evil must be judged. There must be a penalty. There must be some public demonstration that what has been done was evil. And that is why in the Bible, blood must be shed when there is sin. There must be some public acknowledgement that our behavior deserves death. And as I say, that's the theme uh, throughout the Bible. Right at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Uh, When Adam and Eve committed the first sin, do you remember what God clothed them with? He clothed them with the skin of an animal. We're not told what animal, but uh, it's very tempting to think it was a lamb. And a lamb had to die to cover up the consequences of their sin. Go a generation down to Cain and Abel, and both Cain and Abel offer sacrifices to God. Cain brings the fruit of the ground, fruit and vegetables, but Abel brings a lamb. And God rejects Cain's, but he accepts Abel's. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. There has to be death. A vegetable cannot die in a meaningful way. But that lamb can. And the death of that lamb demonstrates the evil of sin. And we could go on and on through the whole Old Testament. Uh, When the Israelites were redeemed from Egypt... God told them to paint the doorposts and lintel with the blood of a lamb, a lamb without spot. And then when they were wandering through the wilderness, he instructed them to offer sacrifices to God when they sinned. Uh, Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would, uh, after offering a sacrifice for his own sins, for the sins of the people, Uh, So you see this theme again and again and again. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There must be a public demonstration of the seriousness of sin and the need for justice. And that's the theme of this chapter, Hebrews chapter 9. And there are really just two points uh, which summarize at least the latter half of this chapter. And the two points are these. Uh, The first one is that the blood of bulls and of goats and of lambs was insufficient to pay the price for sin. But the second point is that the blood of Christ was more than sufficient to pay the price of sin. That's where we're going this evening. We're just going to look at those two points in a little more detail. Firstly, how the blood of bulls and goats was insufficient to finally pay the price for sin. But then we'll see how the blood of Christ was more than sufficient to pay the price for sin. So let's start with that first point. The blood of bulls and goats was insufficient to pay for sin. You can see this in verse 
13. Um, in fact, I'll read from verse 12. Um, it speaks of Christ. And chapter 9, verse 12 reads, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he, that's Christ, entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling on the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the bloods of Christ? In these verses, Hebrews is telling us that all those sacrifices of the Old Testament were insufficient of themselves to adequately, adequately pay for our sins. Um, as I've already mentioned, he, Hebrews here has described for us how the high priest once a year um, on the Day of Atonement, uh, he would offer a sacrifice, um, a bullock or a, um, a, a calf, and he would lay it on the altar. And we're told how he would lay his hand on the head of that sacrifice and he would confess his own sins and the sin of the people and in doing that in that gesture he was identifying himself and as a representative of the people identifying the people with that animal he was saying we deserve to die like this creature we deserve to die as this cow has been slain. This is what we deserve for our sin. That's what he was saying every time he offered that sacrifice, year after year after year. But it was never ending. They could never get to the point where they could say it's enough. The price has been paid. It was never sufficient. And God was teaching us he was teaching them and he was teaching us through that, that a goat or a sheep or a cow cannot take away our sin. Our sin is too great. The death of a mere animal cannot pay for it. That would be like a thief um, stealing your identity and bit by bit bleeding your bank account dry and then feeling remorse and giving you a fiver in recompense. You'd say it's not sufficient. That in no way pays for what you have taken from me. If anything, it was an insult. But a thief might, you can imagine, feel remorse and gather all that he can and say to the offended person who they have stolen from, and he might say, this is all I can give, but I can pay more later. Please accept this for the moment, and I will pay all eventually. That is essentially what the sacrifices did. That was essentially what the high priests were saying as they offered the sheeps and the bulls and the goats. They were saying, this is not sufficient, but all will be paid one day. Please accept this for the time being. We had a story um, of a 78-year-old woman called Tona Herndon. And 
She was once visiting her husband's grave just two weeks after he had died. And as she was getting back into her car at the cemetery, a man surprised her and violently snatched her purse from her arm. And in her purse were all of her credit cards, her personal information and $700 in cash. Um, And police say that this man tried to use one of her credit cards at a nearby um, supermarket. And a surveillance camera caught him leaving the store. And this enabled the police to apprehend the robber. And the incident and the mugshot of the robber were later reported on the television news. And watching the news was a 15-year-old boy called Christian Lunsford. And he instantly recognised the robber's picture. It was his own father. Uh, His parents were divorced when he was two years old, and uh, Christian was to tell the news channel that his father was mostly absent all of his life and in and out of jail over half a dozen times. Uh, The last time Christian had heard from his father was a few weeks prior to seeing him on the TV. And his father had given him $250 so that he could go on a trip with his high school marching band. Uh, But having seen and heard about his father's latest crime, uh, Christian resolved to do something for the grieving widow whom his dad had robbed. And he arranged to meet her in a church parking lot. Uh, When they had met, he apologized to the woman for his father's actions. It needed to be done, he said. She needed an apology from someone. If I didn't apologize, who would? Christian told Herndon about the money that his father had given him for the band trip, and pulling it out of his wallet, he gave it to her as partial payment for his, fa- his father's crime. Now, obviously, in that instant, that was an act of uh, praiseworthy acts on the part of that um, man's son. Uh, that son was not truly guilty for that sin. But you can see there, in a, in a kind of shadowy way, a little picture of what those Old Testament sacrifices were like. They were an acknowledgement to God that crimes have been committed, sins have been committed, that a punishment must be paid. And so, at God's command, they offered the bulls and the goats and the sheep. At best, it was something like an IOU, an acknowledgement that payment must be paid and payment would be paid, even though it couldn't be paid yet. And the Old Testament sacrifices, they, if you like, appeased God for a time. God saw the blood of the lamb, he saw the blood of the sacrifices, and he saw that payment would be paid one day. And it covered their sin for the time being. It was an acknowledgement to God which he accepted. An acknowledgement that payment was coming. It was coming one day it would come. That is why, as Hebrews told us, all the furniture in the tabernacle was sprinkled with blood. Uh, All these utensils and items which were used for the worship of God needed to be sprinkled with blood, if you like, from a human point of view, so that God could see that the priests acknowledged and the people acknowledged that they were sinners, that that wasn't okay, 
that punishment needed to happen one day. And the blood acknowledged that. And so everything (laughs) was sprinkled with the blood of the lamb. And every time God saw the blood, he knew that payment was coming. But that leads to the second point that Hebrews teaches us. And that point is simply that now the payment has come. The full payment has been made. A sacrifice has been offered better than all the blood of the goats and the sheep and the cattle. The blood of Christ is totally sufficient where the blood of those animals was insufficient. Uh, A few weeks ago at Easter, uh, James was speaking to us, wasn't he? And he had that text of John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Christ? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who, what? Takes away the sin of the world. He didn't just cover it. His death wasn't just an IOU. It wasn't just an acknowledgement that payment must be paid. Christ's death was the payment in full. Christ's death completely takes away the sin. Uh, With those sacrifices, the Israelites were commanded to find a lamb which was without spot and without blemish. Uh, It had to be completely pure. But Christ, of course, is truly without spot or blemish. Uh, He is the only perfect man. He never committed any sin. He was the sinless son of God. You could not get a more perfect sacrifice. His life and his death were the full payment for sin. That's why he said, I give my life as a ransom for many. His life was worth more than all the blood and all of all the goats and all the sheep put together. You know, some people ask the question, uh, how is it possible that Christ could pay for our sin in just a few hours on the cross, or if depending on what your view is, a few days in the grave? How could Christ pay our eternal debt on the cross in that way, when for us it would take us all of eternity in hell? to pay for it? And the answer is because Christ himself is an eternal sacrifice. His blood is so precious, his life is so precious, then it more than pays for the eternal penalty of our sin. He is so precious that he could pay the debt which would take us an eternity to pay He could pay it on those few hours on the cross. That is the preciousness of Christ's life and of Christ's death. And at Easter, I used this illustration, uh, how we are like people who have a great debt to pay to a tax collector. And we scrimp and we save and we go to that tax collector and we give him all our pennies and we give him all our pounds, but it's never enough. 
no matter how much we save, no matter how much effort we make, it's never good enough to satisfy the tax collector. Our debt is simply too great. But then a prince walks in, and he has a huge, massive hoard of gold. And he has so much that it more then cancels our debt. He pays it completely in full. That is what Christ did on the cross. He came with all his wealth. He left the glories of heaven and he came to pay our debt in full, right to the last penny. That's why, again, as James was sharing with us a few weeks back, that's why Jesus could say on the cross, it is finished or as you could translate it, paid in full. There's no more need for sacrifices because Christ has paid it all. There is no more debt to pay for those who trust in Christ. It's all been done and settled. That's why Hebrews writes what he says in verse 28, final verse of the chapter. He says, so Christ was offered how many times? Once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. Christ didn't have to keep on offering a sacrifice again and again and again. Uh, This is why we uh, take issue with the Catholic Church. Because the teaching implies that Christ must die again and again and again. The Bible makes clear he paid the price once. And it was enough. He will never die again. And what that means for us is that our debt is dealt with. If you are a believer here this morning, you need never fear facing God in judgment because that was settled 2,000 years ago. You have no more debt to pay. I remember when I first realized this for the first time and I, I couldn't wrap my head around it, that... It's not just that God has let us off our punishment. It's actually the case that God would be unjust to punish us because you can't pay for a crime twice. If God was to judge us in hell after we have come to Christ in repentance and faith, God would be evil because he'd be taking double for the crime which has already been paid. That's why in 1 John, John says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's all been settled by Christ on the cross. That is what it means in verse 14, where Hebrews writes, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, The blood of the sheep and the goats was sprinkled on the furniture in the tabernacle, and it had to be done again and again and again. But the blood of Christ is sprinkled on our hearts. And although we're sinners, God sees the blood. He sees the blood of Christ, and he knows the debt has been paid. And so he can welcome us as pure. He can welcome us as perfect in his sight. 
because Christ has dealt with it once and for all. Doesn't that just make you want to rejoice? Do you see what wonderful news that is? Um, So many Christians even can sometimes be plagued with guilt. Um, We can struggle with the sin that we so often fall into. And we should uh, feel grief at the sin in our life. But we never need to despair about it because it's been dealt with. God may discipline us, he may have to shape us, he may have to correct us, he may have to train us, but he will never judge us. We will never come into judgment. That's been dealt with. Christ dealt with it 2,000 years ago. And that's why the Bible speaks so positively of the blood of Christ. It's the reason why we can come to God at all, and it's he's the reason why we can have any hope of heaven at all. And that's why I've chosen as our final hymn, a hymn I think we've sung several times during this series on Hebrews, Um, but I couldn't really not pick it for this message. Uh, It's number 556. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Verse 2, but Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. So let's stand to sing number 556.